I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hawkeye fans, get ready. It's time for the Hawkeye Nation radio show, powered by the Polk County iClub on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 AM, and now 106.3 FM, KXNO. And welcome to the com radio show here on 106.3 KXNO. Andrew Downs along with you for another Thursday night. Uh, a great night here in the state of Iowa, even if you had to watch that Iowa offense uh, last week, that's been the uh, the big topic of conversation. Uh, that and then the upcoming game with the Cyhawk, uh, the Cyhawk game with Iowa State. It's been a weird week for that. A lot of tension around the state, and uh, to talk about that and a lot more and his hatred for Spencer Petras, <laughs> at least as a player, uh, is Trent Condon. What's but up, Trent? Thanks for that introduction. Jeez, I mean, throw me under the bus right away. Well, there. I mean, it's it's been you know you got to feel a little vindicated after you know two full seasons of kind of uh, uh-huh. uh, you know standing on the Spencer Petras isn't the guy mountain and. Um, you know, despite everything we heard in the off season, despite everything we heard last off season, despite all of the improvements, uh, the simplifications to the offense, the new coaches, the Manning Passing Academy, the lost weight, the improved fundamentals, the Brian Ferentz quarterback coach. Despite all of that, I think we probably saw Spencer Petrus's worst performance, believe it or not, uh, Saturday afternoon against South Dakota State. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think, right after you go through all those different things, that that's what we had and. Spencer Petras, you know, going back to the beginning of his career, his best game statistically was his first game against Purdue. 2020 season, of course, all the weirdness that was involved there. That's the only time he's thrown over for two, over 250 yards in his career. This guy that started now 21 games or played significant minutes in 21 games. I think that says a lot right there. Not a real high benchmark. He's only thrown twice over 225 in his whole career. That's a guy that has started more than 20 games and this is where we are. The Iowa offense, is it broken? Is it a system thing or is it a quarterback thing? I continue to go, it's a quarterback thing. Go back and watch Alex Padilla when he played last year. Was he great? No. But he was better than this, and he would take shots up the field, and he's not a statue in the pocket. I don't think it's a great elixir that suddenly Iowa's going to be a top 40 offense nationally with Alex Padilla in there. I think he has his own issues and his own concerns, but it's got to be better than this. And the other part with Petrus that I look at AD and the frustrating avenue about this is when you look at this guy, he looks broken, not just physically, but mentally. Those passes were lazy off the back foot. Fundamentals all messed up. Tony Rassiopi, his quarterback guru, I think he's got too much in his head. I think he is he has broken this guy where he can't just go back there and sling it anymore. His best throws were what? The, the seam pass to Arlen Bruce, yep. which is a no-thought process throw, right? That was his best throw of the day. The other one was the out pass that was dropped to Laporta. Other than that, those timing routes, the out routes, the simplest throws for a quarterback, he wasn't close on a lot of them. Yeah, I, I make this golf swing analogy sometimes with things that, you know, here in, in radio and in other way, places, uh, you know, 
to to have a good golf swing, you have to do a bunch of things correctly, right? And you have to you know keep your eye on the ball and get your hips into it and keep your front arm straight and you know rotate the right way and all of this stuff. But if you're thinking about any of that when you step up to the ball, you're not going to have a good golf swing. You have to kind of have all those mechanics already set and then you have to let that go and let the swing come to you and it feels like Spencer Petrus is think, thinking through these things too much on the field uh, you, you make some really good points there it's going to be interesting to see how he bounces back because I do I mean I, I believe Kirk Ferentz when he says Spencer Petrus is their starter going into this game um so it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back and, and kind of what his makeup is here. But we've seen so much of him. I think we we know what the ceiling is. We know what he is and what he isn't. And so then maybe the, the more concerning thing is uh, that Alex Padilla didn't beat him out this offseason. That, uh, you know, and, and this is an interesting part of the conversation, I think, Trent, because I do think that if Iowa is losing that game or even if Iowa coaches think there's a chance they lose that game, they may make that change to Alex Padilla last mm-hmm. week. And I think pretty early on they realized, oh, this South Dakota State team can't score on us. And, yeah, they had that one play, their sure. busted coverage and all, but they, but they didn't hit it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think Iowa and Kirk Ferentz knew we're winning this game as long as we don't make any huge mistakes here. And and so, so they left Spencer Petras in there. I do think... And maybe I'm naive and maybe I'm crazy and you can tell me that. I do think if Iowa gets in a situation this weekend with Iowa State where they're down, Mm -hmm. maybe even by seven at halftime uh, and the offense doesn't look promising, that they will make that change. I think part of the reason they're reluctant to is I don't know that you can ever come back from a change like that. I'm not sure, barring an injury to Alex Padilla, you ever go back to Spencer Petras and they have so much invested in him at this point that they want to really make sure they're going to, that they're making the right move when they ultimately do. Do you think I'm naive to think that there's a chance we see Alex Padilla Saturday? I, I hope you're not, because if it continues in the same process in the same way, yet I was down in the football game, then you got a whole other set of problems. Yeah. And the practice word was thrown around two different times. So three questions after the game were asked of Kirk Ferentz about quarterback. That's where the press conference started the questions. The first three were about that. Two times he mentioned Spencer practices really well. Then on Tuesday and Wednesday, we heard the same things. I get it. He practices well. And maybe Alex Padilla stinks in practice. AD, you played sports. I played sports. We know those guys, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The guys that look great in practice, and when the lights were on, it didn't matter if there was you know, 40 people at a junior high game, the guy would still stink. This guy's playing in front of 70,000 people, and we now have nine games where he has stunk. He has not been good. One touchdown against eight interceptions. How can he come back from that? Padilla, yeah. He doesn't have the same arm strength, right? There's certain things maybe you can't do with him. But it's not like this Iowa offense is running 25-yard comeback routes all the time. And you got to have the requisite arm strength to get the ball out there. He played in cold weather. He played at Northwestern. He played against Minnesota. And he was just fine. This offense, he has the arm strength to get it far enough. How many deep shots are they going to start? Yes, the Manning passing camp, when he saw Spencer unleash that 70-yarder. Oh, it's, it's a pretty video. Hey, people got fired yeah. up. Yeah. Was he wearing shoulder pads? Was he wearing a helmet? Was there a pass rush coming after him? No, no, and no. He is a different quarterback in games. We continue to see that. So, yeah, I'm hopeful. If it goes that route, say I was down 13-3 at the half. You got to make a change at that point, don't you? If if Petrus is still struggling, he's turned it over, they've had a bunch of three and outs. If you don't, what does that say? And what does that say to the rest of your team? If you have a guy struggling this much, and he can't pull the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the crowd's going to be brutal on Spencer Petras again, if, if that is the case. And and so I, I do think 
we will see a change if a change needs to be made on Saturday. You just hope it's not too late. But Spencer Petras isn't the only issue with that offense. I, I was a little surprised that Brian Ferentz was so pointed about Spencer Petras when he met with the media uh, on Wednesday of this week because he 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 talked about some of the other issues, the offensive line, uh, the lack of depth at wide receiver, and, and kind of the injuries that have plagued this mm-hmm. uh, this offense so far early on this season. But he also made it very clear that Hey, even with those things, uh, when we look at the film, there were opportunities there that Spencer just wasn't able to take advantage of. And so I I don't know exactly how much of it is. I I will take Brian Ferentz's word that Spencer Petra should have been better. But man, that offensive line needs to get better quickly. That running game needs to be able to 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 move the ball a little bit better. Uh, hopefully, Gavin Williams coming back will will help that. Uh, I guess outside of Spencer Petras, what do you hope to see improvement wise from this offense between week one and week two? You know, the offensive line—it's an adage that's thrown around all the time. You make the biggest leap between week one and week two. Is that coach speak? Is that fan speak? Is that us being hopeful that you actually see it? But I do think there is something to be said about the offensive line getting continuity getting on the field. It's one thing doing it in practice against a defense that knows what you're trying to do in the run game. It's another when you're going up there against a different defense. The other part about the offensive line that was so confusing is you see Connor Colby starting inside, going outside, back and forth between tackle and guard. Logan Jones, his struggles, it felt like he wasn't getting the snap back there maybe quick enough and just how much yeah, that they were out the of timing. sync all yeah. day. Right. The, the timing was off on that front. Nick DeYoung, who'd been a right tackle, and he's playing inside. You have these pieces, and not pieces that we'd kind of speculated about, you know, back to spring football and throughout the summer. These were things, where, what are they doing? This is not anything that we ever thought. Now, obviously, we're not there every day. It just felt like they were maybe trying something at times just to try things to see if anything could click, and unfortunately for them, it doesn't. I'm hopeful that this offensive line is going to be at least okay. They're going to be all right. Will McDonald, we know they're going to have their hands full with him. Yep. He, he's a really talented guy. He didn't play his best game, though, over the weekend. In the middle, they're pretty good, but their other defensive end position is pretty weak at this point for Iowa State. So you're going to be more than likely paying a lot of attention to McDonald. That linebacker group can run a little bit, but I think overall it's not a front from Iowa State that scares you. They're fine. They're, they're pretty good, but they're not a scary defensive front. I think there's a chance here to make that leap here at the offensive line. And if they can just have an okay game, go from having a bad game to a C plus, it's going to change, I think, our perspective a lot about this offense. Maybe even a Petrus. Just a little bit more time. Brian said it wasn't all on him. There was enough time to make a lot of their throws, and there were. But just a little bit more better protection gives him that confidence that he needs. The running game will be better. We'll see about Gavin. I, I think that's going to be better. So that's where offensively I hope that leap really comes up front, and I think it will. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Gavin Williams. You, you hope that he's back. I think just just having another guy back there who's had some experience, I think I think will help. And then, man, you really start to worry about Keegan Johnson and, and what's going on there because not only uh, do you lose, you know, maybe your biggest playmaker on offense uh, when when he's not out there, but you move Arlen Bruce to a place where he's just not supposed to be. So yeah. you have Arlen Bruce, who is the best wide receiver out there right now, but he he shouldn't be that X receiver. He shouldn't be that main guy. He's more of a slot guy that that's where he can kind of make his impact um and so and, and then obviously you know the the charlie jones and tory taylors who you know weren't going to start but you'd like to have them in there now you know will brody brecht play how much will he play what kind of an impact does he have uh, can he catch the ball as, as well as he can throw a baseball uh that that's all yet to be determined but 
you you wonder why the tight ends weren't more involved. You mm-hmm. wonder why there wasn't some more kind of. I mean, I know Petrus missed a couple of screen plays and, and easy yeah. easy throws, but you got to get that that into the game a little bit more. Some of those end around type things a little bit more. You got to just be a little bit more creative. Um, but I think you said it. I understood, and especially when they took the five three lead, and that that was yes. a fair and special. That was a lock yeah. box and. This they team's not game. scoring. Yes. We're not going to screw it up. Don't lose this game offensively. Yeah. They saw LaShawn Williams fumble. Yep. That probably scared him. Yes. They said, don't even worry about holes. Just cover up the football. You have a quarterback that you can't trust at this point. It was, let's get out of here. Whatever it is, we're going to get out of here. I, I think you're exactly right. I think that's the most. Kirk ultimately is about W's and L's. And this was their path to get that W. And and should shouldn't we all be mostly about W's and L's, Trent? And this is the kind of weird part of this conversation this week. And one of the things I've really enjoyed is seeing all these stats mm-hmm. and kind of compiling these stats that are that are ridiculous. They are. I mean, they're crazy. Stats like, you know, since two thousand you know, three teams have won a game where they have, you know, less than 2.8 yards per play and you didn't score an offensive touchdown. And Iowa has two of those games, <laughs> two of those wins out of, out of all of college football in 22 years, three teams have won those games. Two of those are Iowa's. Uh, I saw another stat that's like from the 1800s, a team that has fewer than 175 yards of offense has only won like seven games. And Iowa has six of those wins. That's crazy. And I was six Oh, and four in those games, like in the 10 games I was had in, in over 150 years of football <laughs> it's so th- there, there's an extent to which this is how Iowa plays and and Kirk Ferentz gets out of there with wins and whether they're ugly and whether they're fun to watch he doesn't care about uh, he doesn't care if he wins by 50 or if he wins by by two uh, he just wants to get a win there's an extent to which this is never going to change while Kirk Ferentz is, is mm-hmm. the the head coach. Uh, we've seen several offensive coordinators in this system, uh, and, and the offense always kind of looks the same. Now, it almost never looks as bad as it looked last Saturday, sure. and there are certainly uh, issues and things that need to be improved. And there have been times where it's broken out and done really well and, and quarterbacks that have done well. But for the most part, this is a very conservative offense and a program that wants to win with special teams and defense. And they, they do. They mm-hmm. win with these things. They got to win on on Saturday, and really nothing about that game. I'm, I'm maybe five percent less confident than I was going into this Iowa State game because of how inept the offense looked. Mm-hmm. But I'm not like throwing this in the loss column because all of a sudden Iowa can't play offense. I never expected Iowa to play offense. The last team to have fewer than 175 yards of offense and win since uh, b- before Saturday against South Dakota State was Iowa in last year's Cyhawk game <laughs> where they blew out essentially a yeah. top 10 team on the road 27 to 17 the, that late quarter that late touchdown by by Hunter Deckers was kind of the only thing that that made that uh, look closer than it was. I mean, Cyclone fans were streaming to the exits in the third quarter when their most hyped top ten team, uh, you know, uh, ever was was playing a, a rival. And so, um, there's an extent to which I feel like a lot of this kind of hand wringing and and shouting falls on deaf ears because Iowa wins. They get the W. They do. And more often than not, and now it's what, nine in a row, one possession games, yeah. Iowa has won. That was not always the case. That used mm-hmm. to be a bad stat for Iowa, those one possession games. And so there's Is this a part the law of, of averages me, just evening out, though? I don't know. So there's and it's going to go that, back the other way here pretty soon? Right. Like, would you rather be Iowa or Purdue today? Well, of course, Iowa, right? Of course, because right? They're, they're winning these games. Yeah. Of course. And so it's it's just this, it's this weird place that we're in where I agree with all of the consternation about the offense, but... The result is the ultimate thing. And until they lose, it's hard for me to get too upset. Yeah. 
Now, when they lose, then then it all comes crumbling down. Yeah, right. And it can and, happen quickly. And like last season, after the the Penn State game, and mm-hmm. it was like you know, I think you and I probably talked on this program about, hey, because I had gone all in at that point. Like yeah. here we go, and you know, you're like, eh, I wasn't quite there. Eh. It feels a little like, more it, it feels like this could fall apart, and then it fell apart yeah. in a very ugly manner. Um, and so, yeah, it, <laughs> as long as they keep winning, I think they're okay. The question is, how long can they keep that going? You know, one thing that does concern me is just how bad this has been offensively here over the last nine games. And there's a part of it that does remind me of the end of the Hayden era, where 1996, great end of the season, they're bringing back Tavian Banks and Tim Dwight and Matt Sherman at the quarterback spot. They had a pretty good offensive line. They weren't real deep, but they had the star power that you thought they were going to be good. And until Matt Sherman got hurt, they very well had a chance to have a very special season, but it didn't happen. He got hurt. They missed a bunch of kicks, lost close games to Wisconsin Northwestern. They finished a disappointing 7-5. and five. The next year, though, right after that disappointing year, it completely fell apart. Yeah. That was my freshman year at Iowa, 1998. I was sitting there for the Iowa State game. Iowa was favored by 28 that day, and they get beat 27-9. to nine. I don't remember ever losing Iowa State. I was 18 years old at the time. Last time it happened, I was three. Right. I, I didn't remember losing to the Cyclones, and it happened that day. But it happened very quickly. As elite as this defense is, and as great as a special team, at least the punting game is, yeah. and the coverage units and everything else that LeVar does, we'll see about the kicking game, you know you're going to be in every game. But all of a sudden, that law of averages goes the other way. You're not going to beat Iowa State and Nebraska and Minnesota in perpetuity for the rest of our lives. It's just not going to happen. No. And a bounce here, and a bounce there. And how quickly it can go. And now, how much more difficult is recruiting? If you're going to finish another year in the hundreds offensively, how much more difficult is it going to be to get a wide receiver that has an offer better than Tulsa? How much more difficult is it going to be to get a quarterback that you don't have to have Oregon State get their coach fired in order to get him and Spencer Peters? How much more difficult are these things going to be? And then how quickly can it go the other way? It's that lingering thought at the back of my mind. You know, every recruiting uh, person out there, they're talking about Kirk's age. They're talking about these offensive ineptitude. And it it happened quickly for Hayden. I would hate to see that happen to Kirk. Yeah, I think you're right about that. It's the HawkeyeNation.com radio show. Andrew Downs, Trent Condon uh, driving you home here on a Thursday night. If you missed any of this first segment, check out the podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast, search HawkeyeNation.com or just go to HawkeyeNation.com. Search HawkeyeNation.com. On the podcast app. Looking ahead here, Trent, it wasn't all bad mm-hmm. on Saturday, right? We talked about the defense. We talked about Tory Taylor and that crowd, man. That Kinnick crowd in that north end zone. I mean, that's, yeah. that's one of the improvements. I, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it having this kind of, an, kind of an effect. I tweeted Saturday, and I'm serious about this. The Kinnick crowd had more of an impact on that game than the Iowa offense. Oh, no they forced seven false starts mm-hmm. and really rattled those other teams. And and to have Hunter Deckers and Iowa State coming into a, a you know a Kinnick Stadium, Hunter Deckers' first time on the road. Mm-hmm. Now he played a little bit against Oklahoma last year, but his first start on the road. Mm-hmm. You back him up in that end zone. All of a sudden they can't hear. All of a sudden you got seventy thousand on top of you. You know it, it's pretty intimidating in that building. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how Iowa State is able to kind of handle those things. And then, of course, you know, the the stat we all love to throw out, it's been six years, five full games since Iowa has turned the ball over in this series. The intangibles, the the kind of the discipline, you know, the the playing within yourself, the not making mistakes, that's all gone Iowa's way. And it feels like Iowa has that advantage again here going into this game. I I think so, yeah. The intangible part of it, 
And I had an Iowa State fan ask me, what's more important, getting the football, and if it's going to be this knockout, dragout kind of game, or staying out of that end zone in the fourth quarter? Yeah. I, it has to be at least a thought, a fleeting thought for Campbell. What's more important, us being backed up at that end zone, how loud it is. We saw Penn State a year ago. Yes. They couldn't move the football. We're getting the ball in the second half. If, if it's 6-3 at the half and Iowa State has the choice, I, I just... I wonder. Especially if, if Iowa's offense is doing that, right. yeah, kick, kick them back the yep. ball and, and pick which side you want. Exactly. And then I guess I was thinking about this. which If, if you're an opposing coach mm-hmm. and you have to choose, right? Yeah. Would you rather be driving into that north end zone and trying to punch the ball into the, into the end zone for a touchdown there with that crowd? Or would you rather have that crowd behind you with the, the thought of Tory Taylor pinning you on the three right. and all of a sudden you're, it's not just a false start, it's a safety that you're you're faced? I, I think it's the other way. Yeah, you're trying to drive into that end zone. Yeah. You're going as you're watching not, that TV right to left. Neither is a good left. proposition for an opponent. <laughs> no. And that's an incredible ad- advantage that Iowa has. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great. I think the intangible parts, as I said earlier, the fair and special, that's my, yeah, that's my glimmer of hope. We've been ripping all week. I've been ripping all week. I, I've done this show before, right? Yes. We've had these weeks yes. of Iowa football before where the sky is falling. It is brutal. There is no coming back from it. Just go back two years ago, 2020, that 0-2 start. Oh, man. AD, that was, you were on the edge. Oh, you're, you're one of the most optimistic yeah. people I know. You were on the edge. After of, the offseason they over. had, yes. the, the, they, he's lost the program. There's no coming back right. from this. And they rip off six straight wins. Yes. Right? He has 12 these straight. moments. But Penn State. Going back to that performance right before they take on number two Michigan at home, they looked awful. Yes. And Michigan was pulverizing people that year. It was early in the Harbaugh tenure. It looked like everything was figured out. Everybody that thought he was going to be a star, they were being proven right. What do they do? 14 13 in the walk off from Keith. It just, these kind of moments happen time in and time out from Iowa. And I just, that's my glimmer of hope that that's what this is going to be, those intangibles. What a weird week this has been. It has. There's been a lot of the standard infighting, but not at the same level. It looks like both sides of this one, like, eh, well, let's just let's Every, just see what happens. Everybody's afraid to lose this game, yeah. right? I, I think had Iowa State won any of the games, even the last maybe five years, yeah. had Campbell already had a win in this series, mm-hmm. I think this week you're hearing Cyclone fans chirp, yeah. right? Hey, we look good. Look at Hunter Deckers. We're, we're coming back to your house, and we're taking this thing back, yeah. right? Uh, I think had Iowa looked good against South Dakota State, Iowa fans are chirping sure. this week. Hey, here we go. Even seven they, in a row. You know, and the, the driver LaShawn had it pulled out of yeah, his hand. Right. They score That's there. The you score they there. They go up 12 You make three, that they, first field they goal. They get another one. Yes, it's a whole it's, different it's thing. It's 19-3. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. Yes. But we are. But you're chirping. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, We're, we're needling all week. But no. I, I don't want to do it this week. Nobody's chirping this week. <laughs> no. Everybody's quiet because everybody's afraid of what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen in this game. It's it's a really interesting place to be. Uh, with that being said, you're a, you're a, you're our gambling guru. Yes. And, you know, one of the old adages is, you know, when everybody's on one side, you go mm-hmm. the other side. And I mean, that's when we're talking like 80% of the money, 80% yeah. of the bets on one side. I think I saw a stat. It's like 98% of the money on this over-under is on the under. Yeah. It's crazy. So that we're going was over, right? I mean, it's, it's from Bet, something's going to happen from Bet Rivers, and they haven't moved off their position. That's another part. So you yeah, know, I, right? I know a couple of bookmakers, as you know, and I was talking to two of them this week, and the one thing that they both mentioned to me is we're happy in our position, and what that means is, yes, books in general they want to get fifty percent on one side, fifty percent on the other. They get their 10% because of the yes. juice, and they're happy. Yes. But there are times we have a position. We're not going to move off it. Because like they know it's going to happen. You can be middled, which means yes. 
as we saw last week with the big swing in that South Dakota State-Iowa game, it was at 20 and a half at one point. It went down to 10. If Iowa would have won that game between 11 and 19 points, it would have been a disaster for the sports books because you get middled when that happens. Both the books that I talked to this week, they're happy with their position. They mm. think they have a strong line. They think that the numbers will bear this out, and they're not willing to move unless something incredible happens. And we've seen lopsided both in terms of money at a couple of shops yes. and in that over-under that they said, no, we're good. And I think that's what you're seeing this week. The sports books think they have this figured out, and they think they're on the right side with Iowa this week. What do you think? I will be betting against the books this week. The three and a half is just too juicy in a game that I think is going to be a rock fight. It's going to come down to the wire. Iowa, you know, do they win it 16-13? Is it 12-10? I think it's going to be that type of game. And with three and a half, that hook I think is really, really important. Now, I went invested as soon as the lines came out on the under and did it pretty heavily, at least for the way that I gamble. I don't bet a whole lot of money. Right. That is bet every single day. But I went right away and hit that under. Now with those numbers, though, I'm second-guessing myself. And ultimately, I wonder if I might just play myself out of it because I like that adage. Yeah, Everybody's going one yes. way. I love to go the other. I just It's so difficult for me to vision how this game gets more than 40 and a half points. It's really hard. It's, it is. It's going to be fun, though, man. Uh, we'll have this covered in every aspect possible at HawkeyeNation.com. And uh, I, I guess I shouldn't say it's going to be fun. <laughs> I hope it's fun. Last Saturday so was not fun, man. I woke up jacked. Yeah, I Football did too. Football season, we're back, baby. Here I was we singing, go. singing the fight song yeah, to my kids, and they're yeah, looking the at me like I have three heads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kids are all decked out in the Iowa gear. Right. I'm ready to go. And by about 1230, I'm just worn just worn down. And so I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, this has been a fun week, I, I think, for, for a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, and uh, hell, who knows how many of these games we get left. Kirk Ferentz on the coaches show Wednesday night saying – yeah, after 25, this thing's kind of in jeopardy, so yeah. enjoy it while you can. Trent, thank you, man. Always appreciate your time. All right, go Hawks. We'll be back on the Hawkeye Nation radio show here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the HawkeyeNation.com radio show here on 106.3 KXNO. We are powered, as always, by the Polk County Eye Club. Check them out. If you live here in Polk County, you want to be a part of uh, a great Iowa community, our fearless leader at HawkeyeNation.com is Joe Schmelke. He's the president of the Polk County Eye Club. He can help you out with whatever you need. The Polk County Eye Club. also want to remind you, if you're not going over to Kinnick this Saturday for the Cyhawk game, the best place in Des Moines to watch this is the front row in Clive. Check it out, man. It's a Hawkeye Museum. It's such a cool spot. Uh, if you see a guy who kind of looks like me but isn't me, uh, say what's up. That's that's my brother Brian behind the bar. Uh, but I love the front row, man. We we will do this show, this Hawkeye Nation radio show, live from there a couple of times this year. Uh, Clay and the crew have everything going. And again, it's a Hawkeye Museum. They have a, a great big screen TV, a cool patio. Uh, they'll have some, some food and great drinks and lots of fun and lots of Hawkeye fans uh, looking to cheer on your Iowa Hawkeyes in a big Cyhawk game this week.
Thank you to Trent Connor who joined me in the first segment. Uh, before we move on and, and get a look at what Iowa State brings to the table this week with uh, Jared Stansbury of CycloneFanatic.com, I wanted to have a little fun with stats. I've, I've enjoyed this this week. Uh, part of the uh, – this is it's been a tough week for Hawkeye fans, let's be honest, right? If you listen to Sports Talk Radio, if you listen to podcasts, if you pay attention uh, at all, there's just been a lot of – hate for the offense. There's been a lot of down on the offense, and rightfully so, right? They, they didn't look good. Uh, all of the things that we've already talked about that you already know, but as I mentioned in the last segment with Trent, Iowa wins games this way, and uh, and they do it better than anybody else in the country, and really better than anybody else ever has. And so I've, I've compiled a handful of kind of mind-blowing stats here uh, to, to go through. These are just fun for me. I, I just it's It's amazing. Uh, how this has played out. So I'm going to go with Alex Gukin on Twitter, at Alex Gukin. He's a, a Cyclone fan that I follow, but he seems like a good dude, and uh, he had this earlier this week. Since the 2000 season, so what, 22 years almost, 21, 22 seasons, uh, FBS teams that averaged less than 2.8 yards per play and scored zero touchdowns have gone 3 and 371. So teams that have put up that pitiful of an offensive performance have a 0.8% win percentage. Iowa, your Hawkeyes, own two of those three wins. Iowa is 2-1 and one in games like this. So Iowa wins two-thirds of the games that they play where they have less than 2.8 yards per play and score zero touchdowns. The rest of college football has a 0.3 win percentage. And yes, the other win was Penn State in 2004, the 6-4 game. Iowa averaged 2.4 yards per play, and they obviously didn't score a touchdown there, had two 27-yard field goals. So when Iowa's offense is this bad, they win the game. Everybody else loses the game. 3-371, and and Iowa has two of those wins. Cyclone Larry pulled this one out since 19... I'm, I'm sorry, since 1897. Teams whose offense gained less than 170 yards and did not score four or more offensive points are seven and seventeen thousand four hundred and fifty-six and four. I'll say that again. In the last 125 years, teams that have gained less than 170 yards and didn't score more than four offensive points, four or more offensive points, have seven wins, seventeen thousand four hundred and fifty-six losses, and four ties. Iowa has six of those seven wins. The other was Yale in 1903. They beat Providence three to nothing. The Hawkeyes are six zero and four in those games. Seven wins in 125 years with those offensive stats, and six of them are Hawkeye games. And when the Hawkeyes do that badly, ten games over the last 125 years, they're six zero and four. I bet four of those ties were during the. Uh, <laughs> the Niall Kinnick era. Tom Fernelli tweets this. Fun fact, we know Iowa didn't score a touchdown last week, but it only had 166 yards of offense as well. It's the first time an FBS team has won a game with 175 yards or fewer since Iowa did it last season in a 27-17 win over Iowa State. 173 yards of offense over at Jack Trice Stadium last September. Iowa wins games like this. Chad Lysico with a stat here in one possession games or close games. Iowa is 9-0 and in its last nine regular season games decided by 10 points or less. 2020 Nebraska, 
uh, Iowa State, Colorado State, Penn State, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska last year, and then South Dakota State earlier this year. So close games, Iowa wins 9-0 and in its last nine regular season tries. Matt Benson pulled this one out. FBS, most wins when punting eight or more times in a game since 2020. Iowa has six. Six wins in the last two seasons, not even two full seasons, plus one game this year. When Iowa punts eight or more times, all of the rest of college football, there are eight teams tied with two wins apiece where they punt eight times. Punting is winning for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Chris Falica, since 2015, when Iowa played for the Big Ten Championship, the Hawkeyes have been favored by fewer than six points 20 times. The Hawkeyes have won 19 of those games. When Iowa is not favored by much, they win. 19 of 20. The only loss was 2020 against Purdue. 16 of those 20 games saw a spread of three and a half or fewer. That's the spread this week, three and a half. Iowa is 15 and one outright in those games, 12 and four against the spread. Four of those wins came over the Iowa State Cyclones. Iowa's not favored by a lot. They win. Raj at next year Cubs 11, the first time in history that one FBS team scored less than 10 points and one the Iowa Hawkeyes, and another FBS team scored more than 60 and lost Appalachian State on the same day. First time in history. And then this is just kind of a crazy stat to remind you that what COVID did to this uh, this whole series, it's, it's so weird. The last two Cyhawk games have been certainly the two most uh, heralded games because you know ESPN Game Days had both of those games. Uh, they were ranked teams. Last year was a top 10 matchup between the two teams. Uh, but both of those have been at Jack Trice Stadium. It's been since 2018 that the Iowa State Cyclones have come into Kinnick Stadium to play a game because the 2020 game was canceled. Uh, so Chad Lysico puts this out. Crazy the last time Iowa State played inside Kinnick. Nate Stanley was making his 15th career start. He would go on to make 39 so he wasn't even halfway through his Iowa career. TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant were playing tight end for the Hawkeyes. Tristan Wirfs was a true sophomore. David Montgomery was Iowa State's running back. Yeah, that David Montgomery who plays for the Bears, not Brees Hall, who was Iowa State's stud running back for the last several seasons. And Brock Purdy had never taken a college snap. Brock Purdy, who uh, we all know as Iowa State's longtime quarterback, never played Inside Kinnick Stadium, it's just been a weird, wacky, wild time. That's some fun with stats. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Iowa State with Jared Stansberry of CycloneFanatic.com. This is the Hawkeye Nation radio show on 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to the Hawkeye Nation Radio Show here on 106.3 KXNO. Andrew Downs driving you home. It is a Thursday night if you missed any of the show. We had some fun with stats. We talked with Trent Condon. It's all up on the podcast page at HawkeyeNation.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Hawkeye Nation. I appreciate you listening. And I appreciate Jared Stansberry from Cyclone Fanatic who joins me now to get an inside look at Iowa's opponent, the Iowa State Cyclones. Hunter Deckers, we heard a lot about him in the offseason. A, a lot of hype, a lot of good things coming out of Ames. Uh, as you know, when it comes to him, he put up good stats and, and looked good for the most part. But for, for those of us who didn't actually watch the game, maybe just look at the box score, see the four touchdowns and the yards and the one interception. Uh, how did Hunter Deckers play? Did he live up to kind of the expectations of Cyclone fans in game one? 
Yeah, I think he absolutely did. And I think, too, he, he, he played the kind of game that if you're Matt Campbell and your staff, you have to feel really good about just because, you know, there was a lot of good things. But then there's also the one interception that you can take back and kind of have your teaching tape, you know, and say, well, it wasn't perfect uh, because you did make this one mistake and you had a couple times where uh, things didn't go exactly as planned. But, I mean, man, I mean, I think the thing – that jumped out to me so much was when you watch Hunter drop back and throw the effortlessness of which he does things on the football field, throwing the football, how far in the distance and the, and the um, power he can put behind throws when he's, you know, not even able stepping into it. Like these are things that you, you sit there and you're like, man, this is like a big time quarterback, you know, and that's nothing against Brock Purdy, but it felt like there were times where everything Brock did, it took a lot more, effort I guess like it looked like he was having to try really hard and that was what I thought was kind of crazy watching Hunter the other days it's like man this guy doesn't even look like he's trying that hard and he's throwing these dots across the middle of the field you know at 98 miles an hour so obviously a much different kind of test you know coming up this week with a much better defense but uh, I thought for a game one against an FCS team that wasn't a very good team um, you know you you had to walk away from that feeling like he did everything that you had hoped that he would how do you feel about him walking in, into Kinnick Stadium? I know he played uh, some in the Iowa game last year. I know he played some against Oklahoma in a tough environment there. But this will be his first kind of uh, going into a hostile environment as the starter. It's Iowa State's first time inside Kinnick since 2018, if you can believe that. Uh, and that, that north end zone has kind of changed things inside that stadium as far as the uh, the crowd impact and the, the noise factor. Um, any concerns, I guess, about Hunter Decker specifically starting in a hostile environment? I think my bigger concern would be with the offensive line probably than with uh, than with Hunter. I mean, I think especially like you mentioned with the false starts, that's obviously kind of become a thing over the last however many years since uh, since they finished that portion of the stadium. But uh, man, there's there's something about some of these guys. You get around them and you get to like understand their personality and you see is this like someone who would be flappable in a situation like that? Man. Hunter just has kind of that quiet confidence of being like a, a mother effer, you know, like he just is like, man, I just want to go compete, you know? And, you know, he's talked before about he, how he grew up an Iowa fan and he, you know, we talked to him in the summer on one of, I think our cyclone fanatic uh, town halls or something like that. And he was talking about how this is the game that he's most excited for. Cause he wants to go and play in Kinnick stadium and experience this rivalry and, you know, hopefully beat Iowa on the road. And that's the thing that I think is going to be a little bit different for Iowa State is you got a starting quarterback that understands this rivalry that really is motivated by the rivalry, you know, and uh, that should be fun. You know, I think from Iowa State's side where you get a guy who's from the state of Iowa that has that little bit of an extra edge uh, of going into this of like, yeah, this does mean a little bit more than maybe another game does. You mentioned the offensive line there. How did they look? How did the running game look? Obviously, Brees Hall gone. Uh, Jairo Brock is a guy that we've seen before, but not as the, the featured back. I saw yesterday uh, Matt Campbell said that Cartavius Norton, who looked good uh, in the handful of carries he got, really looked like a, a almost like a Big Ten back. Uh, he will not be available, or I guess is doubtful to play on Saturday. I guess overall, how did the running game look? How did that offensive line look uh, last week? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing you have to, to take into account, you know, they didn't run the ball very well in the first half, but they also didn't really try because uh, Southeast Missouri was coming with eight, nine-man boxes, which, you know, if you watch the Iowa State on film from the last two years and you're game-planning for Iowa State, like, you're going to try and stop the run. That's going to be priority number one, you know. So that's kind of when 
Iowa State really spread the field and they decided we're just going to try and throw the ball. But then I thought you saw in the second half where they really made a, a decision. It's like, we don't care how many people are in the box, we're going to run the ball. And that's when you saw Jirel start to really, I, I felt, you know, go to a, in, into another gear where he was able to power some things forward and, you know, make some plays where he was spinning out of tackles and, um, and driving for more yards. And, you know, I thought Eli Sanders looked pretty good in the, uh, in the few flashes that we got of him. He's a much different back than what Jirel is. Jirel's a little bit more of a, you know, put your head down and go type of guy, whereas Eli Sanders is a little bit more of that pure speed. You know, maybe I, I think you could probably think like Kene Nwangu or, or Kene Wongwu uh, being one of those guys that kind of in that mold. Um, so I think they feel good about where that room is at because they had three or four guys. I think they felt pretty confident they could put out there. Deion, Deion Silas will be available for him again as well. So, you know, obviously losing Cartavius is tough. Uh, he's a guy that had a really great fall camp. Uh, I think they're hopeful that, you know, maybe that's only a one or two week thing, but, um, you know, I think they feel good about where they're at even without them. And, and I thought, you know, everybody, all the guys that I've talked to, you know, I'm not a football expert. Like I'm not the guy that's going to sit there and dive into what was going on in the trenches, but like talking to Jeff Woody, talking to Jay Jordan, you know, Ben Bruns, those guys feel really good about where the offensive line was at coming out of, uh, out of Saturday. And, um, you know, I think everybody was really happy with what Trevor Downing did in his first game playing the center spot. You know, he's another guy that we talked to him yesterday and I asked him, you know, about the difficulties of being able to, you know, handle the noise and all that stuff in, in his first game playing center going to uh, on a hostile, you know, going to a hostile environment. And, um, you know, he talked a lot. He said that that's something that's going to be a, a huge focus this week. He talked a lot about how they're going to have to practice coming out from deep in their own territory. We all know what Tory Taylor can do. And um, so I think that that group is, you know, I think they felt like they're in as good a spot as they've been coming out of week one. Uh, but again, this is a much bigger test than what they had to face last week coming up on Saturday as well. Moving to the other side of the ball defensively for Iowa State, we know that Will McDonald is back. We know he's a force that, that I was going to have to deal with, and I was not great on the offensive line either. And uh, if, you, if you didn't know, they have a quarterback who doesn't handle pressure very well. So uh, that's certainly a concern for Iowa. But beyond that, uh, again, it's kind of the, the, the topic certainly of the offseason in these first early weeks for Iowa State. They lost a lot, right, guys? like Mike Rose and, and others who, who are not back and, and some new faces in the secondary as well. Who should Hawkeye fans be looking for on that defense? And, and overall, how, how did they look uh, Saturday? Yeah, I mean, they struggled a little bit early on, but I think they made some adjustments then as the, uh, as the game went along. I mean, they allowed only like 40 yards of total offense in the second half, so they, they really buckled down. And they played a lot of guys, so they were rotating people in and out a lot as well. But uh, man, I mean, I think when you guys are watching Iowa State's defense, you're going to sit there and recognize a lot more names than what you probably think. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys that are are maybe, were, you know, aren't weren't stars by before, before by any means, but people like Isaiah Lee, who's started a lot of games for Iowa State at the nose guard position. Orion Vance is back at the Mike linebacker spot. Gary, uh, Jerry Vaughn has played a lot for Iowa State over the last several years. Um, and then obviously Anthony Johnson, you've got him playing safety now, you know, a three-time all big 12 cornerback. They really like the four guys they've got playing the corner spots with miles purchase, TJ Tampa, uh, Tavon Kyle and Darian Porter. Uh, you know, obviously people in West or in Eastern Iowa are very familiar with what Darian is able to do and, uh, the kind of athleticism he brings to the table with, uh, with his length and speed. But, um, I think they felt really good about what that, that group did on Saturday. I think they really liked the youth they have. One name I will throw out there for you guys is someone that I expect you'll, you'll probably hear his name called quite a bit is Bo Freeler. 
Uh, he plays the middle safety spot, which is kind of the position that uh, Ishim Young has played over the last several years for Iowa State. And obviously, Ishim was a, a, a pretty good player. And, uh, you know, he was starting to have to split snaps with Bo last year and went into the transfer portal. Is now playing at Ole Miss. But, uh, you know, Bo has, has been huge for Iowa State's defense over, you know, the end, the second half of last season. The other day, he was really good. He had 15 tackles in that game against Clemson in the Cheez It Bowl. So he's someone that I think. You know, it, it's someone that's a little bit new that Iowa fans haven't seen. 17 will certainly be a number to keep an eye on uh, on Saturday at Kinnick Stadium. All right, man. Uh, you know, logically, I think Cyclone fans should feel good about this game based on what they saw from their own team on Saturday and then certainly based on what you saw from Iowa's offense on Saturday. And anybody in this state has probably heard a lot about Iowa's offense over the last couple of days. It's really been the topic of conversation. Uh, even over on like the Cyclone Fanatic podcast where I, I listened to you guys talking with uh, Scott Docterman, and that was a fantastic episode. I, I recommend any Hawkeye fan, anybody to go and listen to that. Really, I, I listen to you and Jeff Woody every week. Uh, he's such a good football mind, uh, and you guys do such a nice job on that show, but uh, I, we know that you throw logic out a little bit with this game, and, and emotion comes into it, and, uh, and and so I guess, what's you know three days into this week, What's your kind of general sense of how fans are feeling about this game? Do, do, do they feel confident, uh, or is it still kind of braced for the unknown, the you know lack of turnovers from Iowa, the, the mistakes made by Iowa State, and somehow Iowa will get out of there with a 5-3 to three win? What, what's the overall sense in the fan base about this game? I think it's probably a mix. I mean, I, I definitely get the sense that people are really nervous, and it it's kind of weird because, I don't know, like I – I'm not that nervous. Like, I think Iowa State is poised to – I mean, I just feel like this group has, like, a vibe about them. That I'm like, man, I could see this team going to Iowa City and win. You know, and, like, I don't know. Again, there's a lot to it. You know, and as the week goes on, I'll probably feel horrible Saturday morning driving over to Iowa City and be like, this. I'm go- it feel like, feels like I'm going to a funeral, you know, or something like that. But, uh, I mean, I think a lot of fans are, are leery of it because of, of what you said. Like, it, would it shock me at all if Spencer Petras came out on Saturday and looked like an All-American? No, it wouldn't. I mean, I, I, I halfway expect that to happen at this point. So, uh, I think uh, people are uh, – are cautiously optimistic where they're still trying to protect the possibility of getting their hopes hurt or getting their feelings hurt, you know, or your hopes dashed. So I don't know. It should be fun though. It's a, it's a funny feeling when like everybody is tense about it. Cause I feel the same thing inside the Iowa fan base where it's like, there's some cautious optimism in that. Hey, I was kind of had their number. Uh, you really like the defense and the special teams and the, the kind of uh, home field advantage that Iowa has, but, uh, can Iowa's offense put up any points? Um, and and kind of the the longer these streaks go for Iowa uh, with you know Iowa State, Minnesota, Nebraska, the worse it's going to be when they finally end, and they, they will end at some point. Uh, and so I think Iowa fans are just kind of braced for that as well. It's it's this funny feeling where both sides are pretty tense about this game. Uh, outside of the fan base, though. I know Matt Campbell's going to say this just just every you know like every other game. I know he had some comments yesterday. They're, they're you know the kind of comments you'd expect about a game like this. A handful of years ago, Kirk Ferentz finally admitted that yeah, I need to take this game more seriously. It does mean more to our fan base. How big is this game for Matt Campbell? How big would a win be to kind of check that box? Maybe the the last box he has to check as Iowa State's coach. Yeah, I mean, I think it certainly would be huge in that sense where people would, you know. 
we hope Matt Campbell's not going to leave. Like, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying if Matt Campbell were to leave, it's like you can't sit there and say that the man didn't do everything that he possibly could have set out to do at Iowa State, you know. And, and to uh, besides win a conference championship, I'd be like, and again, that's something that's like, can you hold someone to that standard when it hasn't been done in 100 years, you know? So it, that would, I think, cert- it certainly, I think, would be big for him in that sense. But I think, too, you know, someone asked Anthony Johnson a question uh, yesterday just about that generally, where it's like, do you guys feel added motivation to get a win for Coach Campbell in this game because he's never had that? I can read this exact quote to you. His answer was, man, I don't know about that. So I don't, you know, I don't think that it's something that, that people are like, oh, we have to go and win for Coach Campbell, you know, but uh I mean, everybody on both sides would be lying to you if they said it didn't mean a little bit more, Absolutely. you know, that, it, that this game doesn't mean more. So it's just, it's one of those things where no one's going to come out and say, yeah, it means more, but I mean, everybody knows, like, we're not dumb. You know, it is what it is. And, Absolutely. And it's, uh, it should be a lot of fun. Ah, uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. Keep telling yourself that. It's going to be fun. I've got the Hawkeyes winning 17 to 9 this Saturday and, and continuing the streak in the Seahawks game, bringing that trophy, keeping that trophy in Iowa City. If you're headed over there, I hope you have a good time. Get loud, man. Get loud. You're, you're going to be a big part of this game. I can feel it. Uh, the intangibles are in our favor. Let's go, Hawks. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you missed any of this uh, show, check out the podcast page at HawkeyeNation.com or search Hawkeye Nation wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have this game covered from all angles, and if you can't get over to Kinnick Stadium, we'll see you at the front row Saturday afternoon. Thank you for listening. Go Hawks!